everyone. Hi, everybody. This is a podcast episode that initially aired on July 11th of 2017 over at Herb Rally. It was their inaugural podcast episode, number one. And this was way back when Katya's braces were brand new. <laughs> She's uh, about to get them off next week. I'm so excited. <laughs> but, uh, but this topic is on our minds again right now as we're gearing up for another free clinic adventure out to West Virginia. We've been going down there for the past few years and working with a team of amazing herbalists and community organizers to provide herbal care for communities who are affected by mountaintop removal. Yeah. So we're really looking forward to it. We're excited to see our friends and to be in this beautiful place again in October. And uh, in the meantime, we hope that you enjoy our thoughts on how to organize and implement a free clinic wherever you are. Enjoy! Hi, I'm Katya. And I'm Rin. And we're at the Commonwealth Center for Holistic Herbalism in Boston, Massachusetts. This is a funny time to be recording a podcast because I recently got braces and I'm very aware of this funny lisp. So just um, feel free to have a giggle and hopefully you can understand everything. It's getting better. Good. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Um, so we want to talk about um, a problem that a lot of herbalists who are going into practice um, are up against, and that is the desire to do work for the low-income and under-resourced community um, and, and balancing that desire against the need to pay our bills. And I think that in the herbal community, um, one of the things that, that I love so much about the herbal community is the strong call to, um, to service for people who, are, who don't have a lot of money. Um, and that strong feeling that herbalists have that this is the people's medicine and that it should be available to everyone who, who needs it and every, basically that everyone should have access to it. But the problem is that, of course, if we dedicate our lives to herbalism, we do require some way to pay the bills. And, um, and so that, that really becomes a kind of painful tension for, I think, most people. Yeah, you often have this feeling that uh, I should do everything for free. I should be giving away all of my knowledge and all of my plants and uh, just making all of this available to everybody immediately and uh, leave nothing for myself. But uh, as a number of herbalists have commented in various ways over the years, you can give away your flower, you can give away your leaf, you can give away your branches, but if you give away your root, then nothing's going to be there next time. And you'll be in your own trouble and you won't be able to help people anymore. Plus, the word burnout is real. Um, and I think that doing uncompensated work for a long period of time, um, I mean, burnout happens any time that we're doing the work of caring for other people because there's so much of that work to do and it's so easy to forget to care for ourselves. But I think that happens faster when there isn't a clear compensation model. But none of that means that we shouldn't be doing that work that we're called to do. Um, that work is really critically important. And especially in today's political climate, um, we there's so much need and we can help. So we've come up with a model. We've tried a few different things in our school um, and in our clinic. And 
we've come up with a model that is really working for us over these last years, um, and that is to do a, a regular scheduled free clinic. So instead of doing all of our work for free, um, we do a lot of work for pay, and the people who can afford it pay, and that subsidizes the scheduled work that we do for free, and that's been working out really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when we talk about this to the people who are paying for classes or for consultations, then they feel good too. They feel like, oh, great, I'm supporting some some pro bono work or some, some work for people who couldn't access this otherwise. And so we feel good, they feel good, we get to help out some other folks, so it's really a, a nice setup all around. It really, it, it brings a sense of community to the whole, to the whole work. Mm-hmm. So what we want to do is talk about um, ways that you can implement this model, the way that we set up our free clinic, um, and um, ways that you can set this up in your area. Um, and then we want to give you some examples of uh, some of the things that we've done and, and how that's worked out for us. So first I would say that, the, that a really important factor in making this work is the scheduled nature. So right now we run our free clinics in the city once a month, and that is scheduled a whole year in advance. And that gives some continuity. It lets people know that they can come back in a, on a regular basis. And, and I think that those follow-ups are so important in herbal, uh, herbal healthcare and in any kind of natural or holistic healthcare that making space for planned follow-ups is really important. So, so having that schedule is, is great. And that schedule can be at whatever pace you can afford. If you say, well, I see clients, you know, four days a week who pay for it, and on the fifth day, it's free. Or, you know, we do it um, one day a month, and a lot of that is, is really just based on our schedule and our, and our teaching schedule. Um, but, but whatever the schedule is that works for you, you can just set that up, but I think I, I to emphasize that the the scheduling nature of it, so that people know they can come back and get follow ups, and also so that you can see the follow ups, because that way you get feedback on what worked and what didn't work, and how you can improve that in the future. So we base our free clinic model. Um, our current one is based off of the way that you've worked in the past with Sam at his free clinics. Right. So I first saw this uh, in action when I went down to... Uh, so Sam, that's Sam Kaufman. He's at the Human Path uh, Herbal Medics University down in San Antonio, Texas. And I went down to visit him uh, a few years back, probably, I don't know, three, four, some number. Yeah, um, maybe more by now. To take one of his uh, Wilderness Herbal First Responder courses and a couple of extra things on there um, for a, a combat medic certification that he offered. And, um, uh, and during the course of that, one of the things that, that the students do is organize, arrange, set up, uh, and then staff a free clinic. So there are experienced herbalists around, but there's also students who've had uh, a little bit less training in herbalism and a little bit less experience with the plants, uh, but who are capable of 
taking intake and getting the story and asking some basic questions. Um, and then uh, the more experienced herbalists will come along and kind of refine that and come up with a formula or a, you know, a blend of herbs for the individual. So um, uh, my first uh, time seeing the free clinic on this particular model was, was there during that course. And I thought this was great, and I thought it was a, a good model that we could emulate. So when I came back from there, I was really motivated to uh, try to offer that somewhere here in Boston. And our first attempts were to try to find someplace other than our own facility to offer it in, uh, with the idea that you know our particular school, we're in a, a part of Boston called Brookline. It's technically a whole other town. Probably the <laughs> Brookliners are a little annoyed at being considered Boston, but... Anyway, um, it's uh, our school's kind of right on the border between Boston and Brookline. It's pretty close to Fenway Park if you're into the baseball thing, um, and so it's a it's a fairly affluent area. You know, we're right next to a major college and a university, and mm-hmm. um, actually, and a whole ring of colleges on the other side. Right. It's a really academic area, um, and that works out nicely for us. But we felt that it would be a little bit of an intimidating area for people in the demographics that we wanted to reach. Yeah, and we thought maybe we can get out to um, to one of the suburbs or to one of the, the areas that are, again, less, less well-served by conventional medicine, um, where we recognize that there's more need for this kind of support. Um, and so we tried reaching out to community centers and churches and a variety of different places, and we found a fair amount of reluctance. Um, I know that other herbalists in different cities have had an easier time with this and have been able to get set up and started really, really rapidly. Um, Here in Boston, it seems like there was a little bit of hesitation um, around the idea of it being a a clinic of whatever kind um, that may have triggered ideas of there being medicine or there being liability uh, or that kind of thing, and of course, as herbalists, we, um, you know, our practice is a, a bit different. Uh, you know, we're not we're not licensed. We're not doing anything that's dangerous enough dangerous enough to require a license. Um, we're also not practicing medicine, so right. you know. Yeah, so it's a, a different situation, but we we had a little bit of difficulty um, getting that across through you know emails and phone calls and that. So after a while, we said, well, forget it, we'll just do it uh, Do it at our place, and we'll just try and get the word out there um, to people who need it. And I feel like our first few rounds of running free clinic uh, there at the facility, um, we mainly brought in people who you know, probably could have afforded appointments or classes and, and were just drawn by it being free. Um, or, or people who couldn't at the time because they were, gra- you know, they were otherwise... Um, you know, fairly privileged, they were grad students or whatever, mm. but in this moment didn't have money. Right. But as time has gone on, um, the word has gotten out there a bit. You know, uh, one student tells a friend, and then they tell somebody else, and they show up. And we are we do seem to be bringing in a, a broader demographic, uh, both, you know, well, racially, in terms of age, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, what kind of jobs people have, and what their educational background is, and so that is that is slowly evolving. Um, I wanna I wanted to say there actually that in the beginning I felt some frustration um, about like well why are these people who could afford it coming to free clinic and that was a little bit of a struggle for us to to just sit with that and say if it's free clinic it's free clinic it doesn't matter who shows up it's free for everyone 
and um, and to just let that be okay, even if it was people who could have paid for it. And in the end, actually, I think that worked out to be a very good choice because sometimes people come to free clinic not because they need the free part, but because they are so new to this concept that they are trying something out in a way that feels no risk to them. And many of those people have gone on to either donate at free clinic to help cover the costs or to become regular clients or even students. So, um, so I share that because if that happens for you and you start to feel frustration about people who could otherwise afford it, it's really important to realize that it isn't just about money. It's also just the risk of trying something totally new um, that's very unfamiliar. And so that's another way that we can just be out there and available. Yeah. So let's talk for a minute about the, um, the nuts and bolts of this. So the model that we use is that people can come in and uh, when they first come in, we'll have somebody just to greet them and say hello, take, take uh, what name they prefer. Um, they don't have to give us their real name, they just have to be consistent about it. So if today they show up and they want to be called, you know... Julie. Julie or Neville Longbottom or whatever, yeah. that's fine. They just have to remember it for next time. And then we'll use that. Yeah. Um, so uh, uh, we want to give people space on that one. Anyway, so we, we get their name. Um, we take the time when they came in. And then ideally, we've got somebody ready um, right away to take them. But if it's a very busy night, then they might need to wait around. We usually don't have a wait time longer than about a half hour. Yeah, that's uh, the worst. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, more often, you know, we're, we're ready to see them um, within a few minutes. And so... Um, we have space in our in our location right now to have two consults going on simultaneously. Um, so they'll go down and sit with... Usually, um, we initially have them sit with one of our students who's in their second or third year of training with us. Um, so these are students who already have had some instruction in uh, the interview process and asking the right questions and, you know, you're good old acronyms like SAMPLE and OPQRST and mm -hmm. all that kind of thing, just to, to get the person's story uh, and ask some targeted questions about their lifestyle, their habits, their diet, what might be influencing their problem. Um, or if it was something more acute, like, you know, when did this start, uh, how bad is the pain, and where is it affecting you, and those kind of things. Um, our more advanced students are, are able to um, start to come up with ideas around what herbs might be appropriate for this person, or what other kinds of recommendations um, may help them out. <clears throat> But in any case, uh, Katya or myself will um, go in after about, you know, 10 or 15 minutes and uh, look at what information our students collected so far, ask a few more questions, um, and, uh, you know, either refine or approve the, the formula or the idea um, in terms of herbal remedy that the, the, our, our student clinician has come up with. We found this to be not just a great method in terms of helping the clinic run smoothly, but also a great method in terms of education for our advanced students. These are students who are intentionally studying to become clinical herbalists, so they already have this mindset. And um, a lot of times they really, they 
they get to the meat of it all and we come in and we're like, hey, great job. I wouldn't change anything. Um, but the really great benefit for the students is that they have a chance to practice in a situation that is completely safe in terms of if they are sitting there and somebody has a situation that is like a health situation that's very intimidating to them and they start to think, oh, gee, I don't even have any ideas. They're not just left hanging there. We're right there. They can call us over if they need us. And that's been really excellent to give our students a lot of confidence and to make them feel like they are much more ready to apply what they've learned um, just because it's such a, a safe, um, supported environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, okay, so now we've got, a, we've got a plan or we've got a formulation for this person. At our free clinic, um, we send people away with one free herbal preparation. Uh, so that might be a bottle of tincture or a bag of tea to brew, or it could be some salve uh, to apply. Um, so they'll get one thing for free. And um, what what will happen is uh, we'll bring that, that sheet or that, uh, uh, that uh, intake form there that the clinician has filled out um, with their plan and with the formula that they want put together and bring that over to a, another student working in the apothecary um, and so there, that's going to be, okay, I want to have this, this gut heal tea blend, and it's going to have calendula and plantain and peppermint and ginger and a little bit of fennel and maybe a little touch of licorice. Okay. Um, and so then the students working in the apothecary will start to put that together. Um, and that also turns out to be a learning experience for them because sometimes we run out of things. Mm-hmm. And they say, hmm, okay, well, what can I put in here instead of licorice? Well, we've got some goji, and that's got some similarities. Okay, let's try that. Right, so there's um, there's that aspect of uh, learning and thinking on your feet and um, being adaptable and uh, and all of that as uh, as people are filling the order as well. Um, and of course, we're always right there to help if there's some kind of question. Right. So uh, then they just wrap that up and um, make some labels on it and make sure that the instructions are clear. And then bring that over to the person and say, okay, here's your, here's your preparation. Here's your, you know, your bag of tea. For this one, you're going to make it in this manner, right? If you're going to make a, a short infusion or a long decoction or, you know, here's how many um, uh, dropperfuls of tincture you need to take and how frequently in the day. So then they'll explain all of the, the ways to, to take the herbs uh, to the client and uh, see if they've got any last questions. And then they get sent on their way. So um, that's the process, except I left out probably the most important part, (laughs) um, which is that uh, when they come in, before they sit down with the clinician, they're going to fill in or read through and sign an informed disclosure form. Um, And there's lots of different ways that people write these. Um, You can uh, definitely find a number of examples um, on just like if you go to a, any herbalist's website, they should probably have an example of their informed disclosure form there. Um, or, you know, if you email them, they'll often send it right to you. You can definitely email us anytime and we'll send you the ones that we use, both for private consults and for free clinic. Uh, ours, we keep them in pretty plain language. We didn't want this to get up into legalese. Uh, we wanted it to be very clear and straightforward, but also, of course, to... Um, to protect us or to to cover what's necessary from a legal standpoint. Um, So this is something that Katya and I have both uh, dug into 
pretty extensively. Um, I have a couple of, uh, well, I have one article up on our blog right now about the practice of medicine in Massachusetts, because this is defined state to state. It's not a, not a national thing. So I would, I would advise you to look up the, um, the statute or the law um, in your state that defines the practice of medicine. Um, and just investigate that and what's, what's written in there so that you know some specifics about what kind of terms you need to avoid. Generally, that's going to be a list like diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any specific named disease condition. Um, those are things that you want to avoid. Um, also, to not let anybody call you doctor, never to refer to yourself as doctor, or to claim that you are practicing medicine. Um, so there's obviously a lot more to say about that, but um, uh, you can, again, you can check out the blog entry I wrote for Massachusetts, or um, you know, if you want to email me, I can point you at some other good resources about that. But on our informed disclosure form, it starts out real simple. It says, we are not doctors, we are herbalists and educators. Our primary goals are to help you nourish and support your body so it can heal itself. Um, we've also got some paragraphs in here. I won't, I won't belabor the point and read the whole thing to you, but we note in here that we're going to um, provide, we're happy to provide you with research or further information in writing um, for your own reference and also that you can uh, provide to any other healthcare practitioners you're working with. Um, that you should tell us uh, and that it's very important for you to be clear to us about any pharmaceuticals that you're taking, whether that's prescription or over-the-counter, um, and also that it's your responsibility to um, talk to your, your doctor or your pharmacist about herbs that you're going to start to work with. Um, and we like to stress that what we're doing is educational in nature, um, that... Uh, the decision to follow any recommendation is always yours, and you got to keep your critical thinking hat on <laughs> while you're yeah. sitting with your herbalist. That's um, such a really important part for us because the tr the current conventional medical system is built on disempowerment. It's really set up intentionally to incur reliance of the patient on the practitioner, and it's. Like, we're not just saying that as a critique. Those words are actually in the the practice of medicine laws in Massachusetts, like mm -hmm. right out there, intentionally... Um, intentionally to, to encourage the reliance upon an individual's knowledge or skill right. in the maintenance of human health. <laughs> right. So, like, I don't want... I don't want somebody to be reliant on me for their health. What I want is to teach someone how to be self-reliant with their health and self-sufficient about their health. And I think that really in all cases, that's what healthcare should be. Um, you know, doctors can be educators, but in the end, we're the ones that have to make the choices about how we take care of our bodies. And so the benefit of being unlicensed as herbalists is that um, we can't ever get into that trap. We can't ever be in that position of taking the power and the rights and the responsibilities away from our clients because that would be the practice of medicine and that would be illegal. Mm -hmm. So it really keeps us in that place of not just empowering people to take control of their own health because <clears throat> because I believe that's what's right, but also because that's what's that's the law. Mm -hmm. So that's really excellent. Yeah. So we like to make that explicit. Um, we also, uh, you know, have a line in the disclosure form that says that any information you share with us is going to be confidential. Um, 
and that you know what we're doing here today is free. You know, donations are appreciated if you have that, but it's not expected in any way. Um, so that's the way that we like to run things, and um, you know that does mean that uh, we're relying to some extent on what, whatever people are able to donate, or basically that. Uh, like we said before, the, the work that we do for pay is going to subsidize the free clinic. Um, in general, you know, we'll, we'll do free clinics that are either two or four hours long. We generally have between eight and, in some cases, as many as 20 people come through. Um, so, you know, on a given... On a given Sunday, we might be giving away a couple hundred dollars worth. Of, yeah, it might be three hundred dollars yeah. of materials, mm-hmm. and then plus the labor, which of course we're not counting. But we do go afterwards, and we we do a little accounting just so that we have a record of what exactly did we give, and we have that in each individual sheet. But for each month's free clinic file, I go back and I put a, a front summary page that says, here's how many people we saw, here was what their complaints were, and this is what we gave. Um, And so this was the total cost of the materials that we used for that free clinic. And um, we do that just because keeping that kind of accounting is a really, really good idea, Um, just in terms of business sense. Yeah, and it helps us to be able to to find people, you know, if they came once two months ago and now they're coming back again, um, then we can just look at that front sheet and we can see the the given names people turned in and we can find them again and say, okay, this was the formula we gave you last time. Yeah, I can refill or modify that as as required. Um, That keeping that kind of a record also can be super helpful if your free clinic grows considerably, um, then... Having those kinds of records can be great if you're going to go and try to get donations from the community to support your free clinic. Now you have that data and you can say, listen, we've been doing this every month um, and we've been seeing this many people and we've been giving away this this much, this amount of material. Um, and having those kinds of records, it, it's it's uh, verifying, it's validating, so that people who might be inclined to donate can say, "Wow, that's really great! Yeah, I'd be happy to donate to that." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so one um, also really cool thing about this method is that it's totally portable. Um, and here in Boston, you know, we have certain needs. But we also know that there's needs around the country that we want to address, and we want to be a part of the solution for a lot of those a lot of those issues. So, getting very comfortable running a free clinic in our own space where we know where everything is and we know exactly what we have and whatever um, has made it very easy for us to say, "Yeah, you know, we can take this on the road and we can go and help people in other places." Um, and so coming up, we're going to do that in West Virginia. Yeah, so this is a, a community in the Coal River Valley, and um, Herbal Medics, uh, the sort of um, uh, free free clinic establishing and <laughs> uh, conveying uh, arm of, um, uh, well, it's really, a, it started out as something that Sam Kaufman and, and his wife Suchel were doing as an extension of their work uh, as teachers down in San Antonio. Um, we started to collaborate with them a couple years ago and to teach together and to go on some of these 
uh, some of these uh, adventures uh, together to different communities. Um, and um, it's also been a, a matter of uh, training local people. Um, like, the ideal is that we would go into an area, establish a free clinic for, you know, a few days or a week, um, make some contacts with people there um, who already had some herbalism or were, were, you know, ready to dive in and learn a lot, um, and then uh, do that as, like, a seed to get the idea planted and then to um, offer uh, training, um, you know, generally, like, online training to um, those, uh, those local folks who were going to spearhead the effort, um, and then to come back on a, on some mm-hmm. kind of a recurring basis to, you know, continue that and to could keep that moving forward. So, um, and that, that kind of a setup is really important because it's so much more helpful if we can empower an entire community to move themselves towards self-sufficiency than if we just show up for one week and then we never come back again. Um, so having those relationships and then being able to share that knowledge with the people in that community in a way that's very organized and sustainable is really, really important. Mm-hmm. So uh, last summer um, I went out to uh, West Virginia um, and one of our, uh, one of our graduates uh, went along with me. And we met up there with uh, Sam and Suchil and a number of their students. Um, and we put together a, a week-long uh, series of free clinics in a couple of towns next to each other in Coal River Valley in West Virginia. Um, and got to know some of the people there and um, began to, uh, to train and to offer our online programs to um, a couple of women who were they already had some interest and some experience with herbalism, but they were ready to kind of bump it up a bit, and they wanted to, you know, get get well-trained and educated and mm-hmm. be able to handle this on their own eventually. So this first round, um, a lot of it was really reliant on um, herbs and materials that Sam and Suchil and their group and also myself uh, and, and, uh, and Kim brought over there. Um, and uh, so we basically brought in everything, all of the all of the people and all of the training and all of the plants and first aid supplies and everything else, um, and did that, and it was a great success, and the community was really into it, and um, we feel like we were able to help people who really needed it, because I mean, you know, I mean these are these are communities that have been basically devastated by mountaintop removal mining. Mm-hmm. Um, which doesn't just pollute all of your water table and your air and a whole bunch of other things, but it also um, basically takes nine out of ten people and takes a job away from them uh, because mountaintop removal basically is a lot more automated than um, the older styles of mining. Uh, in addition to being enormously environmentally destructive, so there's just, there's there's no good. There's only bad in every yeah everywhere you look. Yeah, unless you know you're the mine owner, in which case. I don't care if it's good for them. Yeah. Anyway, so, I mean, these people need a lot of help, and we were able to provide that, and that was really nice. Um, And so now it's a year later, and we're going to be going back. Um, This time, Katya and I are going to go. We're bringing another one of our graduates, um, and uh, actually two. Yeah. Um, They're going to come along with us and help us out. Uh, But primarily, um, and we're going to bring a few things, and we're going to, you know, bring some herbs that have been donated by community herbalists here in town and and stuff like that. Some first aid supplies. Yeah. Um, but the majority of the herbs and the tinctures and salves and whatever else, um, those are being made 
by our contacts out there. Not just made, but also grown. So one of the big things that Kim was able to do, Kim, one of our graduates, is also a permaculture teacher. And so during that week, um, free clinics were going on, but she was also doing a lot of work helping them set up community gardens. And not just teaching them how to do it, but actually they went out and did it. Um, And so those gardens are now yielding pounds and pounds of herbs that are going to be used in the clinics this year. And that's just so exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we're really looking forward to it because it feels like we're going in the right direction. You know, we're getting uh, more and more of this work into the hands of the community members and the people who have roots there. And and also we're bringing a very small team. I mean, there's going to be four people and this time they're supplying all of the student workers. Um, and, and that's really exciting too, that we've been training these, these, this handful of women who are kind of at the you know, um, in the leadership positions of this organization, but they've been passing that in through the community so that they're now ready to have people of their own uh, being trained up to do this. It's just, it's so exciting. Yeah, and it's a nice collaboration between um, the, there's a couple of groups at play here, so, and many of them are, you know, the same people, but they're just wearing different hats. So (laughs) there's a group called Mountain Soul, and they do a lot of outdoor education for, for children and you know, if you if you teach them young to yeah. identify, you know, plantain and poison ivy and yeah. <laughs> everywhere in between, uh, then that that that's you know knowledge for life. So that's really cool. Not um, just herbal knowledge for life, but also if you teach them young to have an appreciation of nature, then they will protect nature. And this is so critical for all of our children everywhere, but maybe even more, especially for affluent children, because they're the ones who are more likely to be able to do the the widespread damage. I don't know. You know, like, the children of those mine owners really need to be learning that that plants are important and animals are important so that they can make different choices than their parents did. Mm. Anyway, yeah. non-sequitur there. <laughs> if, if that could happen, that would be good. Um, oh, and then there's a the another... Um, group there is called Aurora Lights, um, and they're doing a lot of work that's kind of like culture-based um, to bring people together and form better community. And then our host uh, space is um, a building that's uh, mostly inhabited by a group called Coal River Mountain Watch. Um, and, you know, again, most of their work has to do with the mountaintop removal. So it's it's uh, nice that we're going to be in there kind of at an intersection of some really important um, uh, community efforts to educate, to, to teach, to inspire, um, and to, you know, do a little bit of, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, political action as well. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, wasn't quite going for agitation there, but, you know, (laughs) uh, sometimes, you know. All right. So, uh, so yeah, so that's, that's our plan with West Virginia and we're really looking forward to that. That's like next week almost. Oh, a week and a half. week and a half, yeah. It's kind of crazy. Pretty soon. Um, but so this is, this has been a way that we can really use this model, not just to help people where we are and not just to go and at a one-time shot, help people somewhere else, but... Just using this model, we've been able to then spread a lot of education, not just individual consultations, but also community education. So um, 
if you are, if this sounds exciting to you, um, then I would say, please try it because it, it has been so, so successful. Um, and if more herbalists are doing this kind of work, then we could be spreading more and more, um, awesome goodness out into the world. And, and by awesome goodness, really, I mean, self-sufficiency, um, and health empowerment and, and that kind of awesome stuff. So, um, yeah, I think that's about what. Yeah. What we wanted to cover today. Uh, so if you have any questions, you can always uh, reach out to us. Our website is commonwealthherbs.com, and there's a contact form right there. Um, you can also find out about our projects and the other stuff that we're up to. Yeah, so we hope to hear from you, and thanks for listening. Bye-bye.